The source of that greenish powder seems unfortunately lost. Master Wibble tells a tortuous story of finding it done up in a packet in a disused lime kiln near the Downs. It would have been an excellent thing for Platner, and possibly for Master Wibble's family, if a match could have been applied to that powder there and then. The young gentleman certainly did not bring it to school in a packet, but in a common eight-ounce graduated medicine bottle, plugged with masticated newspaper. He gave it to Platner at the end of the afternoon school. Four boys had been detained after school prayers in order to complete some neglected tasks, and Platner was supervising these in the small classroom in which the chemical teaching was conducted. The appliances for the practical teaching of chemistry in the Sussexville Proprietary School, as in most small schools in this country, are characterised by a severe simplicity. They are kept in a small cupboard standing in a recess, and having about the same capacity as a common travelling trunk. Platner, being bored with his passive superintendence, seems to have welcomed the intervention of Wibble with his green powder as an agreeable diversion, and, unlocking this cupboard, proceeded at once with his analytical experiments. Wibble sat, luckily for himself, at a safe distance regarding him. The four malefactors, feigning a profound absorption in their work, watched him furtively with the keenest interest. For even within the limits of the three gases, Platner's practical chemistry was, I understand, temerarious. They are practically unanimous in their account of Platner's proceedings. He poured a little of the green powder into a test tube and tried the substance with water, hydrochloric acid, nitric acid and sulfuric acid in succession. Getting no result, he emptied out a little heap, nearly half the bottleful in fact, upon a slate and tried a match. He held the medicine bottle in his left hand. The stuff began to smoke and melt and then exploded with deafening violence and a blinding flash. The five boys, seeing the flash and being prepared for catastrophes, ducked below their desks and were none of them seriously hurt. The window was blown out into the playground and the blackboard on its easel was upset. The slate was smashed to atoms. Some plaster fell from the ceiling. No other damage was done to the school edifice or appliances, and the boys at first, seeing nothing of Platner, fancied he was knocked down and lying out of their sight below the desks. They jumped out of their places to go to his assistance, and were amazed to find the space empty. Being still confused by the sudden violence of the report, they hurried to the open door, under the impression that he must have been hurt and have rushed out of the room. But Carson, the foremost, nearly collided in the doorway with the principal, Mr. Lidget. Mr. Lidget is a corpulent, excitable man with one eye. The boys describe him as stumbling into the room, mouthing some of those tempered expletives irritable schoolmasters accustom themselves to use, lest worse befall. "'Wretched mum-chancer!' he said. "'Where's Mr. Platner?' The boys are agreed on the very words. Wobbler, snivelling puppy, and mum-chancer are, it seems, among the ordinary small change of Mr. Lidget's scholastic commerce. Where's Mr. Platner? 
that was a question that was to be repeated many times in the next few days. It really seemed as though that frantic hyperbole, blown to atoms, had for once realised itself. There was not a visible particle of Platner to be seen, not a drop of blood nor a stitch of clothing to be found. Apparently he had been blown clean out of existence and left not a rack behind. Not so much as would cover a sixpence piece, to quote a proverbial expression. The evidence of his absolute disappearance as a consequence of that explosion is indubitable. 